and welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and I'll be speaking with guests about their work, research and ideas on better engaging young people. I really hope you like it. So this week, we're joined by Jamie McCracken, Head of Agency at Protein in New York. Jamie's global experience of customer attitudes, behaviours and motivations has informed all kinds of insight reports and strategies, working for a host of brands from Nike, Yeezy and Red Bull to Google, Apple and Alexander Wang, just to name drop a few. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. That's all right. Thanks for having me. So tell us more about your career and how you ended up at Protein and what it is you do there. I think it's always useful to kind of go back to the start. So, I mean, I've always kind of been interested in kind of social sciences, you know, theory, behavioral economics, storytelling, all that kind of stuff. So I started off at least through education, looking at economics and history. That was like my undergrad. That perfect timing, obviously, to have an economics degree was the financial crash. That's when I came out of university. So that was brilliant. Um, and I decided, you know, that's not necessarily the most useful thing I can do as a person also it's not the best career path so I wanted to look at something a little bit more positive so I looked at sustainability so I went to Leeds and did a master's in sustainability and it was all about you know qualitative research quantitative research techniques looking at social cultural economic technological business trends um, and you know how that impacts social responsibility I was always a big fan of kind of sportswear that's a big passion of mine so I did my thesis in collaboration with Puma and it was all about sustainable fibers in performance apparel. And so I came out not really knowing what I wanted to do, but then I heard about the Future Laboratory, which was like like the leading trends and consumer insights agencies. So I moved to the Future Laboratory, studied, I guess it's always a study as well at the Future Laboratory. It feels very like, you know, a lot of researchers and strategists cut their teeth there before going on to other stuff. But I did that under Martin Raymond. That was for a couple of years. That was all about, you know, consumer design, behavioral trends, but it was very much from a kind of observational and an editorial space. LSN Global is, you know, in my opinion, one of the, the leading platforms in terms of tracking trends and, and really making sense of big uh, consumer shifts and cultural shifts. But I always felt like it was through the lens of product design. Again, a very observational editorial lens. And that's why I joined Protein. So I joined Protein in 2013 as... And what I loved about Protein was this idea that, you know, they had a real connection to culture from a grassroots level. So, you know, they had a gallery, a coffee shop, they had parties, screenings, talks, they had a journal magazine. My journey with Protein started there because of this connection to the grassroots. Uh, I worked in London for a couple of years till end of 2015, working with some of the brands that you spoke about, very much kind of youth orientated brands, all the things that I love from like fashion booze, technology, automotive, all of the kind of fun lifestyle brands. And then in 2016, I moved over to New York to start the insight department for protein over here. And that was all about kind of building and managing and and creating the offering for these guys. And then I began overseeing the whole agency. You know, that means everything from, I guess, like defining the elements, the brand vision, talent development, you know, research strategy, delivery methods, um, but then also kind of leading the brand content. So like the Yeezy projects and the Pernod Ricard and the Diageo. So still booze, fashion, tech. But then also looking at, and I guess this is why we're talking now, uh, looking at the, the kind of protein content as well. So I, I'm the editor of all of Protein's global report content. So things like the Influence Report or Exclusivity Report or uh, Youth Report those kind of things. Protein's latest report is Dirty Words, kind of aiming to redefine meaningless words. And I guess from a marketing perspective, we're all a bit guilty of often 
perpetuating these onto our work and our audiences at times. Can you tell us a bit more about that whole um, project? Yeah, it was it's a funny one, actually. I mean, the concept was originally born out of us, I guess, essentially like shaming each other in work. So, you know, we had an internal Slack channel. I can't even for the life of me remember what it was called. I think it was like agency potty mouth or something really silly and inoffensive. But we basically make fun of each other for using terrible marketing terms in calls, pitches, reports. But then we began to realize that, you know, this is something way bigger than just our small agency and there's this real kind of phenomenon of like peak terminology happening so we wanted to look at all of these these I guess keywords or concepts that were dominating kind of the product landscape brand landscape you know media conversations and we wanted to begin to unpack you know how are brands using them and how are institutions using them and how much of a disconnect is that from uh, how consumers use them and, and progressive individuals use them because we saw like this real gulf, I guess, in the definition of terms. So we came up with this series, this publication series called Dirty Words because, you know, we felt that these words, not dirty in their in their creation, but their, how they were now being used and kind of co-opted by brands was somewhat kind of dirty. So we wanted to kind of stay, take a step back help brands because we're you know a brand consultancy and really explore how the, the concept and context of these words had shifted um, and really build discussion around that. And it's not necessarily, you know, we don't have any hard and firm answers, but it's more about creating a creating just a discourse around change. That's what I really liked. I think it was the influence report in particular that reflected somewhat of a shift, I guess, even pre-pandemic, that the world of influencer marketing is changing and that's so linked to sort of consumerism. And do you think Gen Z have changed expectations or is it that just the early models of what we've seen as influencer marketing and lots of grubby hashtag ads and social posts have just not fit for purpose now? It's a really good question because it's almost like a perfect storm of both and everything and it's just like a really interesting moment of change, which is obviously good for people like us to look at consumer research. And I think, you know, back to your question, I guess there's there's these new kind of expectations and levels of accountability for brands. But then also, you know, coupled with that, there's a more kind of informed, engaged consumer attitude. You know, we spoke about this before we jumped on this call, but I think it's also important to, to not reduce change to a certain demographic as well. So... I think you said that Gen Z's sometimes seen as aliens, you know, then they're people. And this these shifts that we talk about and these shifts we see, they're kind of larger than one consumer group. You know, this change in consumerism, expectations and values is something we're seeing across all different ages. It's easy to zoom in on Gen Z because they often have the kind of most space and time to talk about these changes. But it's something that, you know, you can track across all different ages and all different types of consumers. And I think the pandemic obviously has been terrible, but there's there's real kind of positive things to take away from it as well. I think it gave everybody that that chance to to pause and reflect. It gave people a chance to really think about what they care about and what they value. So that's on one level when we start to think about, you know, what does that mean to influence and how do progressive consumers start to see the existing influencer ecosystem? It became clear that it's super outdated. So, you know, just this idea that brands create and produce something in a silo, they then pay somebody to push that idea and that person, that influencer has no kind of real investment uh, in that product or that concept. Um, and then a consumer buys something with no real realization or understanding of, of why they bought it, but just a, an underlying need to buy it. This moment of like self 
actualization and reflection just made people take a step back and think, okay, do I really need something? And is this relationship and is this model really positive? And I think, you know, brands have come to realize and communities have come to realize that that old kind of outdated ecosystem of influence wasn't really positive. So we're seeing it shift more to this idea of, you know, opening up conversations between brands and communities. Things are more co-created and, and they add value to everybody involved in the process. So it's less about capital gains for the brand and it's more about how do you create things that consumers and communities actually need and it adds value to the conversation and to lifestyles? Yeah, and there's this pressure for brands to be seen as this, you know, connected, informed, influential and all these issues that their audiences care about. In your youth report in 2017, it said that 22% said they trusted brands, which is down to sort of 4% last year. I mean, it's a million dollar question, but like, how do brands get it right and avoid being performative? And I think it was in the report you talk about like greenwashing and purpose washing and woke washing. Like, I guess so many brands feel like they should have an opinion that's that was one of my favorites just because it sounds so bleak for brands so it's it's quite a transformative time i suppose and also you know before you know every brand wants to you know talk about purpose or be a purpose brand you know you have to take a step back and, and understand that consumers aren't i guess naive or optimistic enough to think that every brand is a purpose brand you know not everybody can be patagonia with a clear mission vision positioning that's focused on improving the world but i think the overwhelming conversation is now that you know every brand should create with purpose so you don't have to be a a purpose brand but you should create with purpose and i guess what we found when we were doing this report is that really starts with defining values so brand needs to define their values and ground everything they do in these clear foundational practices and this really is the first step to kind of transcending being just seen as performative um first have a you know critical analysis and make it super super clear to consumers you know what you stand for and uh, what you represent and then it's up to the consumers you know whether or not they want to invest their money in you you can be something that is purely about aesthetics and if you are you know be true to that be honest but i think it's about being upfront with the reason your brand exists. And then also, you know, once you've set those principles, it's about finding communities that also live those principles and listening to those communities. Again, it's about moving away from that idea of siloed production. What do these communities need? How can you help? Brands need to think of themselves as kind of platforms that, that lift up the community that empowers them and, you know, uses their voices, doesn't co-opt them, but really becomes a platform to, you know, lift communities and, and improve the wider lifestyle of their consumers. Also in the report, there's this point around the impact of the pandemic and this heightened sort of awareness of well-being in local community and planet. And and it was a phrase that I really like to sort of express personal values over self-expression. And I wonder whether, you know, is influence becoming something synonymous with ideas and movements over product, do you think? And does this come back to brands having this strong clear brand values or being more aware of where you actually you sit in the ecosystem like you mentioned it a little bit there around you know your reality of like how you fit with that local community and raise voices it might not always be about that specific product if that makes sense I think you know it just kind of goes back to this idea of I'm not going to use the word woke because it's terrible and again I might do a dirty word on woke who knows um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's just this idea that people are buying more into brand values than just mere aesthetics and I think, you know, one of the favorite things that came out of that report was just this idea of that, you know, in a world of limitless choice, every decision an early adopter makes means something as products and brands become character references. And I think that's like a really interesting way of thinking about it. Now, you know, consumers are obviously investing in values, but the products are, you know, essentially like the 
the advertising board is out of home advertising. It's them showing that, you know, these are because I wear this brand, these are the values it represents and this is what it communicates about me. And I guess the same goes for the the kind of influencer landscape as well. There's this search for depth and authenticity, not just kind of performative aesthetics. We're seeing that consumers are really looking for brands and and influencers with enduring values. So they want to see kind of that consistency in story with the brands the influencer collaborates with, the marketing narrative that the the brand always tells. Um, They want to understand the back end. There's this constant desire for deep research as well that we're seeing from consumers. So they want to understand, you know, what's what's your role in community, both as a brand and as an individual, how you're investing in that community, what's the makeup of your boardroom, what are the the reasons you make your decisions. So there's this kind of hyper transparency moment we're moving into and it's all kind of surrounded or it's all kind of grounded in fixed principles. So what we're seeing is this idea that substance is becoming so much more important and cool designs are still going to turn heads, but it's not going to, it's not going to create longevity. Any advice for those listening who want to better understand their audiences and what influences them? Like, I mean, it's a funny one. Your research doesn't have to be scary or expensive, I think is the first thing. And I'm the probably get killed for saying this but you know I always think like the less professional you are in in research moments the more kind of truth and authenticity there is to a lot of research and just thinking about it as well you know mixed methodology is so important so there's obviously different approaches for different scales of insights and finding there's moments for qual and there's moments for quant I think also the way research is changing now you have to understand that it's an iterative process as well a good piece of research brings up more questions and answers which, you know, hopefully brands don't feel shortchanged, but that's often the process. So it's it's about thinking about, you know, how do you start small? How do you then stress test ideas? You know, start small, start qualitatively. Use internal resources, use adjacent resources. Think about all of the assets you have internally before kind of going out there, I think is super, super important. And then once you're kind of out there doing research, it's so important to focus on kind of honesty and transparency. So you'll find that if you're talking to the right community and if you're talking to your right consumer, they, they're going to love to be involved in this conversation. But you have to kind of tell them exactly why you want them involved, what's expected of them, how that information's going to be used. You also have to be so respectful of people's time, pay them properly, give them the space they need to have kind of true and honest conversations. And I think it's also don't get too carried away with you know, new shiny tech. I think it's, I think it's interesting now, especially in COVID times that, you know, research has become increasingly remote, but you can get so much just from kind of small deep dive ethnographic approaches where you really kind of, you know, get under the skin and and live the life of your consumer rather than thinking about, you know, how do we make this hugely scalable to, to really have a a strong business case for our findings? You know, how do we get 10,000 people to answer this thing? You know, often start small, start honest, start with a true community that's already existing and then kind of scale up iteratively as you, you know, want to test concepts or think about building out on a, on a bigger, larger scale. Are there any brands or campaigns you think do a really good job at engaging youth audiences? This question is so important, but I always hate it because I always love to talk about things kind of conceptually. And then it's always you hope that brands are, are jumping on this and, and you know, running with this to to prove those concepts right and there's a couple that are doing interesting things I think they're in the report so I just lifted them in preparation for this but you know my favorite and I think this goes back again to that earlier discussion just this idea of brands not co-opting communities and brands becoming a platform 
um, to lift communities. I think, you know, V-Files, um, the store in New York, their new foundation, I think is really interesting. And it's, it's similar to that kind of, you know, that whole Red Bull music kind of model of creating a, a framework and an institutional structure that helps people. Um, so, you know, they're looking for the next generation of cultural innovators. They're giving them the resources they need to kind of redefine the world and redefine their industry and their category. And it's very kind of inclusive programming, empowering like underserved minorities and communities and, you know, giving actual grants and giving incubation and giving education and research and development and helping people understand about kind of policy and understand about process because that's really what this the next generation of consumer needs they don't need more product they need like institutional help like they need to understand how to work the system and how to develop their trade and, and further their passions like that's to me that's where a brand adds more value now you know it's not about gifting sneakers it's not about gifting product it's about helping somebody understand how to scale a business model the kids i talk to the kids i interview it's they don't need another thing they need to understand about process which i think is to me that's the most interesting thing that that brands do now is thinking about what are the structures they can create that help education and are there any podcast books or newsletters that you would recommend we check out obviously Protein supplement, of course. Of course. Goes without saying, it's the best. In terms of my stuff that I like, I always listen to Reply All. I love Reply All. Great, isn't it? Just just like normal human stories. And then I think, you know, from like a more, I guess, informative point of view, there's things like lots of quick hits, things like Quartz or Economist Radio. I listen to every morning just to kind of give you that really quick insight into what's going on. When it comes to print, I'm trying to be a bit slower, I think, and like really change the the level of content across the different form of content. So with print, I'm looking for something deeper. So I look at this magazine called Science of Secondary, which it's like a research journal. That's, there's only about six or seven issues and it's quite obscure and it's published I think it's by a, I think it's Singapore Design Studio makes it. But basically they look at a different object each issue and really unpack that object. And then another magazine, which I look at is called MacGuffin Magazine, which does the same thing essentially, but less product design led. So that's a monthly publication. It's out of Amsterdam, I think. And then I guess book-wise, the last book that I guess is useful in this space that I found interesting was Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. Yeah, it's kind of like that social science commentary looking at changes in culture, changes in behaviour and and what that means. That was a book I definitely appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Hear It podcast. You can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at the Hear It podcast or threadandfable.com. And if you've enjoyed the show today, please drop us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts.